Beyond the Fence Line, a podcast brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. Created by landowners for landowners, we're proud to play a role in conserving the Texas legacy of wide open spaces. Well, thanks for joining us here at Beyond the Fence Line, where we, we talk about you know what happens on our ranches and, and, and what happens on our ranches and what it means beyond that fence line. Today, we're gonna kind of shift our topic around policy. Uh, we have with us today, Dr. Bart Fisher, who currently serves as the co-director of the Agricultural and Food Policy Center at Texas A&M. Um, you know, his applied research focuses on solving real world policy problems for agricultural producers and also anticipating potential policy changes for Congress to consider. Uh, before Bart joined the university, uh, he served more than eight years at the Committee on Agriculture on the U.S. House of Representatives, most recently as the Deputy Staff Director and Chief Economist under uh, Congressman Mike Conway out of Midland. Uh, he also, you know, helped uh, kind of draft the last two farm bills. I think one of the things that Bart brings uh, to the policy world is he's a fifth generation uh, raised on his family wheat, cotton, cattle operation in southwest Oklahoma outside Frederick. Um, and he continues to be actively involved. You know, I think one of the key things about Bart is he's definitely grounded by a tremendously uh, uh, great, great wife and, and uh, Carolyn and his three kids. And thank goodness his kids take after his wife. And uh, Bart, appreciate you being here with us today. You bet, Chad. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, let's kind of dive in and uh, let's start with kind of an overview, uh, Bart, around the Agriculture Food Policy Center, its history and its purpose. Sure, you bet. Uh, so our center, the Ag and Food Policy Center here at Texas A&M, uh, really was founded back in 1983. Uh, really came together, you know, as a project of A&M, but also working jointly with the Texas Congressional Delegation and specifically uh, the House and Senate Ag, Ag Committees. And really, you know, bottom line, our bread and butter is looking at farm level policy analysis. So when you go around around the world, uh, you know, that's what we're known for. Um, and, and what AFPC is really renowned for is looking at the impact uh, that policy has at the farm level. And as you noted in the introduction there, Chad, for me, for me personally, being a farm kid uh, growing up on a, on a farm, yeah, I'd probably be sitting on a tractor myself if it weren't for, you know, being very passionate about the impact uh, that the decisions really in Washington and also in Austin, the impact that those decisions have on individual producers. And so, you know, AFPC, that's, that's what we're known for. Uh, and when I got an opportunity to come back back here, uh, particularly to work alongside Dr. Joe Outlaw, my co-director, uh, I, I really jumped at the opportunity. Really the, the primary way we go about the work that we do is through uh, what we call representative farms. So we work with panels of four to six producers really around the country. So this is not just in Texas. We're really in about 36 states or 30, 30 states uh, and about 100 different farms around the country. And so in each of those locations, we work with four to six above average producers and we work to put together uh, what's called a representative farm. And so all those producers uh, come together uh, and and, and it, it's all on paper, so we're creating financial statements, collecting all the inputs that would go into a farm, everything from yield to you know, fertilizer use and costs, 
uh, you know, equipment complements, you know, land tenure, whether it's owned, rented, uh, and put together a farm on paper. And we bring that back here to campus and in College Station. And when, when Congress reaches out, you know, we're able then to simulate the effect that a policy change would have on, on the bottom line for, for farms around the country. And so if it's you know, anything from tweaking a reference price in, you know, in, in ARC and PLC, or if it's looking at making a, a tweak to CRP, whatever that is, we can run those uh, changes through our farm models here on campus and get an idea of the impact that it'll have on farms. Uh, and again, it's all it's all over the country. And so that's really our bread and butter here is farm level policy analysis. As you know too though, uh, we're because we do work directly for the House and Senate Ag Committees, we're we're often called uh, called on to to address a number of, of issues beyond you know running uh, kind of specific analysis in the context of the farm bill. And so you know, on any given day, we're working uh, on any number of, of projects at the request of the committees. So Bart, you come to the center by the way of DC where you served as a chief economist for the House Act uh, Committee. You know, can you describe, uh, you know, in kind of a little bit further detail of, to our audience, you know, what your responsibilities were and what kind of projects you worked on while you were in DC? Sure. So. I was actually down down at Texas A&M doing my PhD here in the Ag and Food Policy Center when I got a call from Washington about putting my name forward. Uh, I kind of chuckled at the time, but uh, you know, Congressman Frank Lucas from Western Oklahoma, the third district uh, there in Western Oklahoma was the incoming chairman. Uh, and I, I started to get some calls asking if I might be interested in, in coming, coming back to DC. I had worked there prior uh, in another job as well. And so, I was here at A&M, uh, you know, working on on graduate school, uh, planning on you know staying focused and finish up, finishing up when I got that call. And you know, Mr. Lucas being from, you know, we had some commonality there. Him, he being from Western Oklahoma, me growing growing up on a farm in Western Oklahoma as well. But then also here at AFPC, knowing our center works for Congress, it kind of all just you know the stars aligned. And he ultimately asked if I would come back to D.C. And so. I joined uh, the committee as the chief economist uh, on in June of 2011, you know, just in time for the the joint uh, select committee on deficit reduction that was firing up that summer, which was really the the precursor to the 2014 farm bill. And so, um, you know, not to not to dredge up a lot of very fun memories from that long and drawn out process, but we spent three years. Uh, almost uh, every day uh, working uh, on that farm bill, going through failed votes on the House floor, and um, you know, it was fortunate work uh, for Mr. Mr. Lucas, who was uh, you know the right the right guy for the job at the time. Incredibly patient, kept his head down, kept plowing ahead, and so I was able to to serve alongside of him throughout that bill. And you know, as chief economist, you know, you kind of wear multiple hats. You know, one of those is is making sure that everything adds up. Uh, you know, we're talking about almost a trillion dollars in spending over 10 years that's authorized by a farm bill, you know, with almost 80% of that being in, in the, the SNAP program or food stamps. But on the on the farm policy side, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. And so a lot of my job was spent making sure that uh, that everything did add up. But the other the other big component though was was on the design of farm policy, making sure that what we did worked. Uh, for producers out in the countryside and you know without belaboring the point one you know one example being that you know much of texas and oklahoma as well had been uh, in a prolonged uh, drought and it just so happened 
that the livestock disaster programs, you know, primarily the livestock forage program that helps, you know, provide uh, drought assistance had, had been turned off a year early under the 08 Farm Bill. And so we went into the 2014 Farm Bill with no funding for that program. And we came out the other end uh, with it being not, not only fully funded going forward, but also being funded retroactively to cover the drought. And so just one little example uh, of what I was able to work on uh, in the 2014 Farm Bill. Then in, uh, in, uh, in January of 2015, uh, you have Mr. Conaway uh, from Midland, Texas's 11th uh, Congressional District, who came in as the chairman. I uh, was very fortunate to be able to stay on with him also in that same capacity as chief economist, uh, but also uh, uh, had the good fortune of taking over uh, the trade port policy portfolio on the committee as well and serving as his trade advisor throughout uh, his uh, throughout my time with him, which was almost four and a half, four and a half years. So was on hand for you know, all the NAFTA renegotiations, so on and so forth. Uh, and then as you mentioned in the introduction, the last two and a half years, I also served as his deputy staff director throughout the development of the 2018 Farm Bill, uh, which meant I was doing the same things I was doing during the 14 Farm Bill as well, but also uh, was making sure that the entire Farm Bill uh, came together, um, you know, all all parts, all twelve titles uh, were were coming together in that in that uh, package that ultimately was signed by President Trump on December twentieth, twenty eighteen. So, had a, a breadth of experience, was able to work on pretty much everything uh, relating to to ag policy over mo most of the last decade in in Washington. I wouldn't trade the experience, and was just incredibly fortunate to work for really two outstanding. Uh, legislators and, and Chairman Lucas and Chairman Conaway, uh, but also excited to be back in Texas and now working uh, full-time on staff here, helping uh, lead the effort here in, in College Station. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I mean, what ex what great experience, uh, Bart. I mean, too, I think you, you, you stated it well and, you know, envious in, in a sense of um, Chairman, Chairman Lucas and Chairman Conaway are just two great individuals and, uh, yeah, I just, that's pretty amazing to be able to work under their leadership and, you know, make the impact that you have, uh, not for yourself, but, you know, for all the, all the producers across the country. Um, when you kind of think about that experience you gained there on the House Ag Committee, how does it really help you in your current position at AFP? Sure. I know. Great question. Um, you know, in a lot of respects, I think it's similar to, to how it was when I went to DC. You know, I, uh, you know, growing up on a farm, was able to draw on that experience. You know, knowing that you know when we would be making decisions or when the members would be looking at making decisions. You know, having having grown up on a farm, you know, have I was fifth generation on our operation. Both sets of grandparents farm. My folks farm full time, and so you know that that backdrop helped immensely in Washington because. You know, not only did I have practical personal experience with it, but I also had a lot of people, you know, people I, I could call on. And so I was very fortunate, uh, you know, to have had that, uh, that background going into that job in D.C. And in a lot uh, of ways, the same thing, you know, it uh, applies down here as well. You know, our, our center, uh, AFPC work, as I mentioned earlier, works directly for the House and Senate Ag Committees. And, you know, and and we have a, I mean, I'm the only one on staff here who's, who's worked directly for the committees and I'm fortunate to have, you know, an incredible staff, but there's also, you know, I think we're, 
I'm personally, you know, fortunate to to have seen what it's like on the inside. <laughs> if you're going to be helping helping Congress, um, to some degree, it does help, you know, to know uh, to have been on si- on the inside of the sausage making, you know, see how the sausage is made. Yeah. And so, I think that's probably the biggest benefit. You know, the other is that you know, having worked in in D.C. for years, um, you know, it's a it's about the policy, certainly, but uh, a lot of what happens in Washington related to agriculture is about the people, too. Um, you know, you can imagine with a PhD in ag econ, I'm a bit of a, of a book nerd, but uh, <laughs> I learned very quickly in Washington, if you want to get anything done, um, it's not about, you know, who you know, uh, kind of in that, uh, you know, the, the crude sense of, it's much more about, you know, if you want to get things done, it's about having relationships and knowing who you can call on um and so on and so forth and so i think one is just that being able to bring that experience down here but then two you know knowing a lot of the folks in dc who who uh who are there who are champions for agriculture and being able to call on them too i think is also you know another added benefit from having having worked there yeah i think that's well said i think we overlook you know we all get passionate and and we get kind of tunnel vision in a a way even you know, sitting, you know, uh, behind the tractor and things of that nature. Sure. Uh, we're truly in the relationship business, no matter behind the tractor or uh, behind a desk in D.C. It's all, we're all interconnected. Um, and I think that's that's key. You know, when we think about this interconnection, I think, you know, really Bart kind of kind of started thinking about this last, you know, six, seven, eight months of this uh, this pandemic. You know, it's appended just about everyone's lives and livelihoods. Um, you know, what has been the role of the Policy Center during this pandemic? Uh, sure, you know, I think it's taken on a, a couple of forms, um, much like the, the rest of, of A&M in general, and certainly AgriLife in, in particular. Um, you know, we've, the university at large, again, all the way down to, to our center has, has tried to be very proactive in being a resource uh, for folks across Texas, and I think that you know, perfect—it's uh, a perfect illustration of why the extension model at universities is so and is so important. Um, you know, and and making sure that we're reaching out to folks who who are directly directly affected. And so, a lot of what we've done is just that—just you know, general education. You know, trying to put out uh, materials, keeping folks in the state informed of what's going on uh, in Washington and the resources that are available. So certainly, that's been one aspect. You know, the other though is uh, is very much about the policy development process. So, you know, Congress has acted now, you know, in a fulsome way three different times. They're still working on phase a phase four response to COVID, which you know looks like it may slip until uh, until after the election. But our center, you know, I've probably fielded daily phone calls from Washington D.C. over the last, uh, uh, or at least multiple times a week over the last several months as Congress has really in rapid fashion had to kind of grapple with how to respond. And so, you know, whether it was, it was Congress putting together, you know, the CARES Act with kind of the initial response for agriculture where they provided funding to USDA or whether it was USDA responding in kind to that and crafting the initial, you know, CFAP program, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, and now the new CFAP 2.0 that they announced just last week. Um, you know, we're, uh, you know, our center is in a bit of a unique position and that we're, we're called on regularly for, for advice and was certainly able to kind of convey the concerns of Texas and what was going on in Texas and, 
convey those back to back to Washington. Yeah, it's 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 a lot going on and, and a lot to uh, kind of absorb from a producer's perspective because you know the, it just changes so quick and and that's one of the key things I think for you know the the policy center is you guys are kind of forefront and, and you know, I think everybody's the whole team's experience and your experience definitely helps bring forth uh, that producer insight and helping uh, with this policy. Um, you know, in your former role, kind of think about probably the, some of the major policy from a producer perspective. In your former role, you know, you you really helped craft the last two farm bills. Um, you know, this, this next farm bill uh, is just, you know, right around the corner. Uh, you know, what's the policy center's uh, you know, role going to be in this next farm bill? Well, man, that's a good question. <laughs> to some, to some degree, um, you know, our center, we just, we have to be nimble because we never know what's coming, right? We're, uh, you know, we're, we're Congress is grappling with kind of the news of the day and what's going on. And, you know, they, we can get any number of questions. So to some degree, it's still, you know, it's still unknown, you know, still, still up in the air, but, you know, I've passed this prologue, you know, one of the, the primary things we're going to be called on, uh, you know, for is, is particularly on the farm policy side, you know, that's where, you know, again, our bread and butter is on, uh, you know, is on farm policy. So I have no doubt that we're going to be asked uh, a lot of questions there. So a lot of what we do is actually is confidential. It's behind the scenes. And so if, if Congress is looking at either tweaking existing, you know, programs or completely crafting new ones, you know, we'll either model out those specific tweaks or we'll model out the complete new policy change and, and simulate the impact that it would have on, you know, on farmers' financial financials. So, uh, well, a lot of that back and forth, though, is just confidential analysis that we'll do for, for both uh, House and Senate Ag Committees. And we're nonpartisan, so it's both majority and, and minority will do that work for. Some of it may ultimately become more formalized. So, you know, when I was in DC back during the 2014 Farm Bill, the center center put out a more formal analysis of the package that it had been to introduced, uh, primarily because Congress wanted to use that in discussions with, or the ag committees wanted to use it in discussions with other members on Capitol Hill. And so, in a lot of ways, we're a tool that that the Hill uh, can use at their at their discretion and at their disposal, and we just have to be nimble and, and respond to it. But certainly, uh, farm policy will be a big part of that. Um, you know, beyond to, again, the analytical, we have, you know, it's not just me here. We have an, a, a, an extraordinary team of professionals uh, at the center that cover really virtually every policy topic under the sun, certainly as it relates to agriculture. And so uh, beyond the more formalized analysis, you know, we'll field a lot of questions. And increasingly, we're fielding questions from a lot of offices to individual member offices. Um, both within Texas and with outside of, outside of Texas as well. And so increasingly, we're just getting more and more, you know, even background policy questions from offices and helping them think through, you know, issues that they're trying to address. And so I think the script hasn't been written yet on the role uh, we'll, we'll play, but there's no question, um, you know, that we'll be, uh, we'll be right there uh, helping, helping the House and Senate Ag Committees as they do craft the next bill. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that insight, Bart. You know, here at Texas Agricultural Land Trust, you know, we're focused on policy priorities right now that benefit agricultural landowners in Texas. Uh, you know, right now, 
we're, we're focused on these resilient, resilient landscapes and, you know, looking at, you know, really kind of what this podcast is around, you know, about right beyond the fence line. It's about this private land stewardship, um, public benefits and, and, you know, producers being solutions um, to, to some of these environmental issues that we have. Um, any insights that you could share, you know, with us kind of on this, um, this idea of these resilient landscapes and, and just producers being able to maybe share, share their stories a little bit more broadly and um, any thoughts? Sure. You and I could probably talk all day about this <laughs> particular topic. You know, I mean, I think for me in general, you know, and if you kind of lump everything, you know, I know that the word sustainability is kind of overused, but you right. know, for, and, and part of it's just, this kind of flows naturally from the work we do here, but you know, I've long, uh, you know, my view has long been that you know, if, if we're going to, if farms are going to be sustainable and contribute and, and continue, you know, all the, the soil water conserving benefits that they do provide, you know, they've ultimately got to be economically sustainable. And so that's why I often, you know, often focus, you know, more kind of on farm safety net and risk manage, management, um, you know, but one thing we you know, increasingly, you know, they're the, that side of the ledger in a farm bill is increasingly, you know, under scrutiny over the last two decades, you know, whereas the other side of the ledger is that we've made extraordinary strides and benefits, you know, in the conservation uh, conservation titles and you know when I hear uh, you know particularly in Washington DC you know a lot of comments about uh, you know production agriculture and this that and the other it's almost as if uh, folks don't even realize the the tremendous investment that's been made over the last two decades in conservation and you know, and even if you look at the 2018 farm bill um, that was a I, I would argue title two the conservation title in that bill was you know was an enormous success uh, success story and you know, if you look at you know, Equip as a perfect example, for the first time ever, we were able to push funding up above two billion dollars. So, you know, ramping up, you know, almost to a, a, a two hundred fifty million dollar per year increase. You know, at a time where we were writing a base, you know, a budget neutral bill, we were able to make you know some pretty extraordinary investments into you know into Equip and. If you look at uh, you know small watershed rehab and the watershed and flood prevention stuff that's in the farm bill too, are able to get permanent funding there for the first time ever, permanent mandatory funding there for the first time ever. And so, really across the board, um, you know, it, I think there's increasingly this you know recognition of what we've always long said, you know, that you know farmers are you know first and and best stewards. But you know, as you mentioned, there's there's still a lot of work to be done, and you know, even on the two topics you listed. Um, it's nice to see you picked really easy ones to work on, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, two two extraordinarily important ones. I mean, if you think of Tulp you know, as an e example of all the work that y'all have done in conserving working lands, you know, and undeveloped working lands over the years, I think it's you know it's kind of only natural that uh, you know water follows suit. And while we have made uh, investments uh, on that front in successive farm bills, there's no question that I think. Uh, more focus could be brought to bear there, more resources could be brought to bear there. And so the fact that you all, uh, you are looking at, at water conservation in particular, I think is a big issue. And on, you know, on the resiliency, um, you know, on the resiliency front, I think the big question is, you know, and again, it's often wrapped up in this, you know, the climate change conservation, which comes with its own interesting uh, set of politics. But the reality is, is Congress has shown a willingness, uh, you know, 
rather than taking the regulatory approach, Congress is taking kind of the voluntary approach. And I would argue that it does that it does uh, work there. The big question is, you know, kind of what role is the ag community going to play going forward uh, on on that front? And, you know, whether it is, uh, you know, working lands conservation, which is the hallmark of our conservation policy today, you know, is and certainly the equip improvements and the and the improvements we made to the conservation stewardship program, all of those are with the mind, you know, that working lands conservation is the most appropriate way to go about uh, about conserving uh, resources. But then if you're looking at resiliency or steward, you know, stewardship practice, again, that featured front and center in CSP and all that against the backdrop of, you know, providing incentives to producers. Um, so I think, you know, the stage is somewhat, you know, been set coming out of the 2018 Farm Bill. And the big question is, as we go into the 2023 or 2022 or 2024, whatever Farm Bill it ends up being, you know, I think the the big question is what all what are all those going to look like uh, into the future? And so, I mean, I commend you guys for for uh, working on uh, on those two topics, even if they no question they're they're hard to get your arms around, but uh, it's important we get our arms around them too. And so, um, I think you know if that if that's the the focus of TALT uh, going forward or a couple of your topic areas you're looking at, I think it's time well spent. Yeah, I mean, I think I. Think spot on Bart. I, I think the 2018 farm bill was uh, you know some tremendous wins um, I'm looking forward to you know kind of building upon those successes in this next farm bill I think too when we look at you know kind of the you know the dynamics and the horizon right of conservation where you know people are wanting to be more tied to it you have I think more uh, private type funding available too, which I think helps helps us from producers, right? Where we can stack, start stacking these opportunities together from a, you know, the next farm bill, whatever year that may be, um, to also connecting, you know, what happens on the ground um, back back to the consumer through these corporations that, uh, as you said, are, are, are looking at it and, and finding ways to, you know, help, uh, fund in that kind of free market approaches. So um, I, I'm, I'm excited and, and, you know, very optimistic of where we're heading um, in the future. So I'm looking forward to, um, to that. When we kind of look at the horizon of those opportunities, you know, what's on the horizon for the policy center? You know, what are you currently working on that makes a big difference? Uh, sure. So one of the first, I mean, we've been working on, um, you know, with DC, uh, as I mentioned on the on the COVID response, just this past week, USDA put out their CFAP 2.0 details. And so uh, we're going to be going through that closely. You know, we had, uh, when CFAP 1.0 came out, there were several issues, you know, we had flagged, uh, you know, both internally and then certainly after it, it came out. And it looks like some of those were addressed this time around, but we're, we're right now. I was in DC all of last week and came out late last week. So we're still getting our arms around um, and analyzing CFAP uh, 2.0. You know, there with following COVID and all the disruptions, uh, you know, in supply chains, there's been a lot of questions out of Washington as well. Uh, you know, we typically focus on the, we spend a lot of time focused on the row crop side, but increasingly we're feeling calls about specialty crops and also livestock. And so uh, one of the big things that we're looking at and likely going to be working on over the next year at the, really at a, a nationwide effort is on uh, you know, cattle markets, cattle supply chain, uh, you know, 
all of those issues that come with it that were kind of brought to, brought to light during the kind of peak of COVID where we, we've been asked to look, look into that as well. So that's another big issue we're tackling. And <clears throat> beyond that, you know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of what we do is really also just providing baseline outlooks for Congress. And so for all of those representative farms I mentioned, you know, the nearly 100 across 30 or so states, uh, we have to keep those updated. So we visit those farms. Our staff visit those, visits those panels of producers. Uh, we try to visit at least every two years so that we always have the absolute latest uh, information that we can provide to Washington. And so not only does it provide the basis of, of, for us to be able to do policy analysis, but it also, it also enables us to be able to communicate very clearly to Congress exactly where uh, you know, the state of the farm economy is, really at, not in some aggregate you know, big you know, $100 billion number, but really down at the ground level, what does it look like um, you know, for producers at, at the ground level? And so we'll, we're, particularly with COVID being grounded due, due to COVID, you know, we're, we're working through how to, to kind of catch back up uh, on, on that front as well. And most of that is so that we're going to, that, that we'll be uh, absolutely prepared and ready to go once conversations do start to, start to heat up on the next farm bill. Yeah, those are some exciting topics. I mean, especially, you know, you know my passion kind of on the beef cattle side and and uh, the grazing side of the thing. Glad to hear you guys kind of tackling some of that. And, uh, and I know, uh, you know, it kind of ties into our last uh, podcast that we had, uh, Bob McCann, you know, producer there in South Texas and current president of the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. Um, I know he'll be excited to hear about uh the Ag Food Policy Center's uh, work in that arena as well. So thanks again, Bart, for, for joining us here and, and kind of spending some time and kind of give it some insight um, and kind of what to look forward to on the horizon of the policy. I uh, really appreciate that. My, my pleasure, Chad. Thank you for having me and, and congrats on your new role there uh, as well. I've always in enjoyed working with you uh, over the years, regardless of what hat you were wearing, and uh, but excited to, to see you there uh, with Talt now. Look forward to working with you guys going forward. Yeah, same here on this end, Bart. And I look forward to keep working with you, and it's great. Uh, we're both, both in Texas now and looking forward to, you know, keep, keep furthering uh, working together and, and making a difference, making an impact uh, for producers. So, again, appreciate it. Uh, hope yeah, I hope everybody can uh, join us on our next uh, episode where we're going to sit down with uh, one of our founding members, Texas Farm Bureau, with Mr. Cy Cook, the executive director. Um, Cy has, you know, over 30 years with Texas Farm Bureau. He started out as the ca county uh, Farm Bureau board member and county president, and then later kind of started serving as a field representative for 20 counties in the South Central Texas before, you know, kind of moving into kind of the home uh, headquarter office in, in Waco and, and taking some senior management um, responsibilities. And in 2016, moved into the executive director role. So looking forward to, to sitting down with Cy and kind of, you know, hearing, uh, you know, what's on the horizon with Texas Farm Bureau and also kind of visit about, um, you know, their, their relationship with, with TALT and what it means for both organizations. So um, hope everybody can join us uh, on that next episode. Um, with that, so hope, hope everybody has a, a blessed day and we'll listen to you again beyond the fence line.
Beyond the Fence Line is brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust, dedicated to conserving the Texas heritage of agricultural lands, wildlife habitats, and natural resources. Find out more at txaglandtrust.org.